Aalto University Podcast. In the Adventures in Entrepreneurship Law podcast series, Petra Hietanen-Kunwald and Kalle Airo from Aalto University explore business law from an entrepreneurial point of view with expert guests. In some episodes, their co-host is Moritz Scherleitner. The podcast content is meant for education and is not intended to constitute legal advice. How to design privacy. Privacy, data protection, and GDPR. Our guest is Tobias Brautigam, partner, Bird and Bird Attorneys Limited. Entrepreneurship Law with Petra and Kalle. The processing of personal data is highly regulated in Europe. There are sanctions for breaching data protection regulations, and breaches are detrimental to the image and value of a company. In this episode, Kalle and Petra talk about personal data, the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, and data privacy by design with Tobias Brautingham. For some companies, data is an asset. For others, it's necessary to do business. For individuals, it's important to protect their private lives. Data processing is nowadays heavily regulated. And we will discuss this topic with Tobias Breutigam. Hello, Tobias. Happy to be here. Nice to have you here. Great. Uh, So Tobias is a partner at Bird Bird. He's head of the Data Protection Group in Finland. And he has been there as a lawyer for six years. And before he was an in-house lawyer in Nokia and Microsoft. But Tobias is also an academic, a scholar. He's associate professor at the University of Turku and the University of Helsinki. He is teaching at the moment, a course in, at Aalto University on information law, data protection, and he also teaches at the University of Helsinki. Tobias has a PhD in law from the University of Helsinki, and he's still learning and wants to learn every day something new. Is it so? Yes, absolutely. So that's why you joined the studio. Yes, it's the first time I'm in a studio like this. Yeah, so. great. So. So to be as wise entrepreneurship important to you? I think there are two reasons. Like the first reason is more general reason that without entrepreneurs, we won't be solving the problems of the future. And there are many, many problems and many, many opportunities. So for example, in climate change, there's so many different things that could be invented and done a little bit better. And whether that is on, on really on the technical side or on the process side, on the software side. The, so I think it's super important. And then maybe a second, more personal reason, I think it's just great to try new stuff and to explore, Um, you know, do something that no one has done before. And I think that's exciting. And I want to support those people that do. So when entrepreneurs and startups are doing something for the first time, what do they typically do wrong regarding data protection? Well, one of the problems is often that they do not consult early enough and see maybe data protection as something like um, pushed on at the end, like a paper exercise, 
whereas a lot can be won just by consulting early on. And that process is called privacy by design. So privacy is baked in already in the design process. And there's potentially uh, quite a lot of money saving involved. So basically the iterative product development also includes the privacy issues as natural yeah. part of the process. Yes, exactly. And I mean, ideally the privacy would be um, translated into requirements and those requirements are then implemented already. So rather than saying, I have my product ready now, privacy lawyer, give me the okay or, or so, then it, it's better to think about what needs to be on the list and what is mandatory for that. And it, it could be things like uh, what data is even collected, uh, how is it collected, can, can we separate it? If there's a request by an individual later, how, how do we deal with this request? Is it easy to deal with the request? Could it even be self-service so that the individual does all the requests themselves and so on? Um, so there's a lot of things if you think about them like at the starting phase, it's easy then later on. So I think that is the biggest mistake, like to wait too long to involve someone. And even like with, with an hour or so talking to an expert, um, it, it, it could help to avoid a lot of problems later on. That's a really important point because we started this course by saying that uh, in entrepreneurship, it's often good to try and fail fast. But in many legal issues, you might want to think ahead a bit before you start failing. Yeah, it's boring, but true. <laughs> so what is personal data? Yeah, it's basically everything one could say, and much more than usually people think what is personal data. Um, officially, the, the, the law says it's uh, identifiable or identified data relating to an individual. Um, which could be anything from, of course, the obvious, the, the name, um, the address uh, and so forth, um, the social security number, but it could also be log data. And even if you have some sensor data, which is connected to a person, this whole sensor data set becomes personal data. You can think of it like it, it's like oil and water. If you have your normal data, which is not personal data, and you put, put personal data, a drop of personal data to it, you pollute in a way the whole water and, and it becomes personal data, which is not that bad, um, but it just means that the law then for personal data applies. Can you give us examples for personal data? Yeah, like, like um, there are those obvious examples, uh, like, like whatever, whatever, whatever is in like an employee employment file, uh, be a performance report, and uh, so customer relationship data, um, you know, events that happened in, in the customer journey. Um, but then there's also a lot of log data or even IP addresses. So there were several cases um, in, in various courts on is IP, are IP addresses personal data? And it turns out they are, and even the dynamic IP addresses are personal data. Um, which is a little bit surprising maybe, um, but, but it means it just shows how big um, the, this is. Um, and um, maybe one case which I think is interesting, uh, which, which is not that often quoted, um, uh, this is also quite recent, is a case from Lithuania. They're the anti-corruption authority, um, kind of wanted to crowdsource anti-corruption and they, they published records of income and assets of, of certain people of a certain level, civil servants, maybe a director level or something and above. And then they also thought about the spouse because you could just shift the, 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 the money and, and assets to, to your spouse and to 
So, and so they published both. And then the question was, well, that is personal data, obviously, because they have the name of the person. That's, is it also sensitive personal data? And the court said it is because it reveals sexual identity because, you know, your spouse might be of the same sex or of a different sex. So uh, this is a bit of surprising. Many people wouldn't have thought this. And we see that this what is personal data and what is sensitive personal data, both definitions grow over time. So what is sensitive data you, and what is, what is normal personal data? What is the difference? Yes, um, those are terms from the GDPR, which is a general law in Europe. Uh, it's, it stands for General Data Protection Regulation. And there are two classes of, of data, the personal data, which is like everything. And then there's sensitive data, health, relating to health, uh, religion, race, political views, biometric identifier, and also sexual identity, for example. And this sensitive data enjoys a better protection? Absolutely, yeah. There, there are different rules applicable to that, when you may process it, how you need to protect it, and so forth. Who owns this personal data? First, we maybe should discuss what is ownership, and then we can see what's ownership with data. So ownership is an exclusive right, basically the, the biggest right you could have. Um, the most powerful superhero of right is ownership. And with data, it's a little bit difficult because if you own a microphone, for example, you, you have the microphone, you can destroy it as part of ownership that you can dispose of it. With data, it's not that easy. So I know that my name is Tobias Bräutigam, but you know it too. So we kind of both own it. And I can't really exclude you from using or knowing this kind of data. However, the law I mentioned, the General Data Protection Regulation, the GDPR, that defines um, rights for individuals. And those are only for the individuals. And part of that rights is also to ask in limited ways for to be forgotten or to have the data deleted or modified, rectified if there's a name change or so. So there's not really ownership, but there are rights to data. So what are the main issues you should think about in relation to data protection? Well, there's a handful. Um, I would start by planning uh, the processes, because without structuring and documentation, it's very hard to do the following steps. Um, among others in the following steps is to identify the really risky procedures. Um, the little secret about data protection is so it's, it's an endless stream of obligations and very few companies are, can say that they're 100% compliant. Uh, even big ones with a lot of uh, privacy lawyers, it's, it's very hard. So prioritization is very important, but you can only do this if you planned and documented first what you have. And then among those, identify the high risk processings. Um, there's special assessments for those. Um, they're called data protection impact assessments. Um, those should be done with the high risk processings. Then moving on, I would really look at my vendors and um, think with whom I contract. That is important for two reasons. The first reason is when, when our clients come with data breaches, it's hardly the clients themselves that have the data breaches. It's like 99% is some vendor. Uh, and so uh, if, if you choose carefully, you might avoid a lot of costs and trouble and notifying and uh, individuals and, and brand value decrease and so on. Uh, 
And the second reason is, and that, that ties to another aspect, is international data transfers. And some vendors are in Europe, some vendors are in the United States or somewhere else. And the compliance is much easier with those in Europe. Of course, there's always uh, cost-benefit analysis, and not, not all services are equally important if you think about uh, cloud infrastructure and, and so. But it is worth thinking about it, which, for example, survey service I take. Uh, does it have to be a US one or could it be a European service? Um, because international data transfer, that, that is also something to think about. There's a lot of focus um, from NGOs and data protection authorities on that uh, to check. And it might then be either, you know, there's a fine, which is frankly not that likely for, for startup, but it might also be that the service is forbidden or the data transfer is forbidden and that, it, that can be quite impactful. And for a startup company, it's good to actually think about the business model of the vendors. Mm. So oftentimes we see startups who want to use, let's say, a customer relations management software from a California company that's free to use. Mm. And of course, then the business model is selling this data to third parties. And it might be interesting opportunity for students saying, hey, this doesn't cost me anything. Mm. But actually, in the long term, these are not always the best choices. Yes, and it might also be depending on if, you, if you're very small, it doesn't maybe matter. But if you scale up, it, it really matters. At the beginning, no one will really complain about this. But it is different when you have your 10,000 or 100,000 or first millions customers. Um, and, and, and people care a lot more about it then. And, and what happens if I do not do anything, if I choose not to do anything, even though I process personal data? <laughs> yeah, that 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 would be a tragedy, <laughs> of course, um, for many reasons. One is that there are actually quite strict fines. And those, of course, depend a little bit. Is it B2C or uh, B2B? Um, the business model where the consumers involved, those fines are much more likely um, because it's for consumers very easy to just complain to the data protection authority. It's basically just an email typing the name of the company and that we believe that they violated the um, general data protection regulation. Uh, so there could actually be fines. They could be quite high, uh, two or four percent of um, the global annual turnover, or ten or twenty million, whatever is higher. So even even for smaller companies, it could be significant. I still don't think this is the main reason to comply, um, because the brand value and if you look if if there were those data breaches and and how the stock um, reacted is usually much more impactful and and it's many times what the fines would be. And that is something to think about, especially if maybe also if the company thinks about being bought at some time. Um, so there's if, if you have a reputation of handling this, not ideally, it, it's harder to find investors, um, or they would demand a lot more compliance work then. Um, those are the main reasons as another one, um, at least in Finland, the being negligent or intentful bad about uh, data security is actually a crime. Um, and there's personal liability for those who do not uh, sufficiently uh, implement measures on data security. So the conclusion is that you have no choice, you have to do something. Yes, that, that's what the regulator wants. And uh, yeah, the question is then more like, on what level. So you started by saying doing nothing. So I think that is really not a choice. 
Uh, should every startup invest a million in data protection? Hell no, of course not. Um, but just to the set about the documentation and identifying the risky processings, that, that is really something that must be done. So when I have a startup and I have personal data, like you said that there's quite a lot of personal data around, uh, I don't have so much resources, where should I start? I would recommend to start by documenting what you have and getting a good understanding what there actually is, because that will be useful in, in many regards. So A, it's already that is a documentation obligation you have under the law. B, if there's a data breach, you need that information and C, then, you know, you can build on that for the risk assessment and the prioritization. I would recommend start small, but start. So there's a lot of vendors out, um, the International Association of Privacy Professionals, which is kind of the industry group uh, supporting privacy professionals. They have a vendor report out there that has like 400 pages or so full with privacy vendors. And of course, they all want to sell something and it's all kind of expensive and so on. This is certainly needed at some stage, but definitely not needed at the beginning. At the beginning, that actually could be an, an Excel or a spreadsheet for, for, um, not needed to do more. Um, that is how I approach that usually. So again, uh, from the point of view of the, of the entrepreneur, there is, uh, it's difficult to start. So, so they have to choose. Uh, the groups of data, the risks and so on, where they will have an exposure. Uh, so so how, how do I do this? How do I, as an entrepreneur, define or determine or recognize these risks? So on a risk can be defined on the, for example, if it's personal data or if it's sensitive personal data. Um, the the different fines even for that and uh, that will be taken into account and it's all over the GDPR, the risk-based approach. So the, and it's defined basically what data types there are, uh, what, you know, what's the amount of personal data you have um, and then where is it in the life cycle of, of the data? Are you ramping it down? Is it testing data? Is it in production and, and so forth? Otherwise, it, it really depends also where the business is going. Um, and where, you know, if it's a consumer business versus if it is it B2B, what if what are your clients then? Or what are your customers? Um, how sensitive they are, which countries they are. So the risk depends on many, many uh, different factors. If we look just on enforcement risk, that's, a, that's another way to look at it. So, you know, where are the, the, the enforcements of um, the data protection authorities? There's a lot on data security. So breaches, you know, there's um, different numbers, but some say almost half of the enforcement are on that. In Finland, actually not that much, but in other countries. Um, then there's a lot about transparency. So informing individuals say, this is how we process the data. This is what we do. This is we send it, we sell it, we don't sell it, we, we do this and that. That could be both for employees or it could be for, for customer data. And um, then maybe the, the others are more like risk assessment, not having a grounds for processing the data, right? You should not uh, process those. Let's, let's get back to this grounds of processing. So do we always need to have 
a good reason or lawful ground for processing. And, and for entrepreneurs, there are certain grounds that are so. So it's mostly consent. It's it's it might be contracts. So 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 what what are these grounds? Yeah. So uh, the, main. the main grounds. Yeah. So so, so let's start with the, the rule. Yeah, let's start with the rule. So the rule is everything is forbidden. Yes. Let that sink in. So, <laughs> so it's forbidden to yeah, process. Yeah, and then we need to make data. it legal. Yeah, yeah. So then we need to have a reason to process it. And there are six grounds on the normal person side and, and then maybe 12 on the, on the sensitive personal data side. And then there might be member state like Finland or Germany or whatever special grounds. The main ones uh, are, are consent, contract, um, by law. So, for example, you have to give some data to the tax authorities, so you don't need to worry about that then, or to the police. Um, and then there's legitimate interest. There's no entrepreneur ground or so, but unfortunately, uh, it, it probably will boil down, depending on the business model, to contract uh, actually more than, than even consent. But, but let's say we have a, a startup company looking for customers. And uh, is it then a legiti legitimate ground that they say I need to gather data because I need to do marketing? Yeah, actually, marketing is recognized as one of the examples for legitimate interest, even in the law. So there's nothing wrong with marketing. And I think we, you know, in one way, companies rely on marketing and, 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 and that is good. It, of course, depends then how much data is collected. So is it just like you have an email newsletter or you you buy certain data and then 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 use that or do how detailed are the profiles is the marketing communication initiated by the individual so they i want to know more about this and then they're in a database and they get updates or is is it more like pushed on them um so there are many many kind of like little things one can regulate and think this is still okay this is not okay but the basics is that legitimate interest can be used for marketing. For marketing. So it's perfectly fine for a startup company to collect, let's say, uh, contact data for potential customers if they only use it for the marketing in, in for, for starting up the business. Yeah, so uh, B2B um, data collection, reaching out um, is absolutely okay, yes. B2C is, then, uh, B2C is a little bit more... Uh, is a little bit more sensitive, depends on the channel. Um, and usually it's only with consent to send marketing there. If it's if it's email or text messages. Yeah, so B2B is without consent, legitimate interest marketing, for instance, and, and, and B2C for the for consumers, there you would need a consent yeah, for direct marketing. So this data protection is a big workload. And if you want to do a project to start your data protection, how would you go about actually starting this project? Yes, I, I would first document what I have and understand that and maybe also think about how I can use it because now we talked about so far from the compliance angle, but of course there's a use angle to that also. So what, what do I really need um, for marketing purposes, but also to just to optimize the, the product for business development and so on. So it starts with documentation and also planning uh, what, what needs to be there. Once I have that, I, I can then move on to the risk assessment and within that uh, field think about, okay, this data 
you know, I think about in a year again, uh, and this data is really sensitive, maybe some biometric data, I need to protect it well, I need to maybe do one of those assessments, a data protection impact assessment, and then conduct those. It really helps to have someone coach or was done this already to, to help with this, you know, this is important, this is not so important, because it would be a mistake to treat everything the same. Um, and it's still much better to just do one risk assessment and take one, care of one thing than just to say, oh, it's so complicated, I do, don't do anything. So documentation and then the risk assessment. Then as a third step, I would uh, work on the transparency uh, and inform the individuals, so the employees, but of course the, the consumers, customers, the, the, the business partners about this is what I do. And there's certain ways to do that. There are certain templates to use for that. Um, it's, it's actually not that complicated. It's in the law what you need to tell, and then you just tell it then. Um, as a fourth step, I would think about data security and generally data managing. So how do you protect your assets? You have identified what are the risky ones. So how do you protect them? And what is the life cycle of this data? Because when we have the data breaches, quite often we see that um, companies have a lot of old data. And it's then quite embarrassing to say to the authorities, well, this person applied in 2006, but we still have this CV where all kinds of stuff is in there. There's like no reason to have this. Um, and and uh, so think about when to delete the data and how to do this, um, which leads then to the uh, fifth point, which is processes. So process for deletion, process for training, uh, process of what happens when new things happen and uh, document this. And when you have documented, you can also teach it. And that's maybe the final point for like getting started. Uh, teach the processes to the relevant persons. There's a lot of online resources available to do that. Um, so it doesn't always have to be, uh, you know, an external training provider, but there are also those available. How can a privacy lawyer help an entrepreneur or help a company? Yes, I think there are mainly two ways. And the first one is in this risk assessment. So think this is important, this is not important. Because if you've done it um, hundreds of times and know the enforcement, then you see what should be done first. And this is for cost management very, very important. And the second reason is actually to decide who does what. So what actually needs a lawyer? What can be done with a template? What should rather be done maybe by a junior resource? And, and what re you really need an expert for? Uh, this later thing, I see quite little. So um, so that companies kind of think, yeah, okay, I give it to a, to a certain law firm or so, but they don't think about this coaching aspect. You know, help help me understand what I can do myself. And I think it would be, for all startups, a great question to say, hey, I want to do a lot of myself. What things can I do myself? And how long do you think they will take me? And what can you bring? And uh, to open a conversation with that and, and also say, I want a coaching relationship on this. Uh, not just like you do this one piece and throw it to me and then you do maybe other piece a month later, but kind of things, how, how can we work together for compliance? So are there any resources that are publicly available? Yes, there are. And I would start with the um, MOOC from University of Helsinki. So that's the Mass Online Open Course. 
I've done this together with Sam Rickley and Tulia Karjalainen, which are two scholars of the University of Helsinki. Six modules where you can learn in depth about data protection and you know, what are the reasons why you can process it, uh, what are the rights of individuals, and, and so forth. Also, in another resource is uh, Bird and Bird. The law firm I work for has published a guide on the GDPR. It's also freely available on the website. So if you go Bird and Bird and GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation, then you'll, you'll find it. Um, it's, it's already a few years old, but that the basics haven't changed. It's graphically quite nicely done. It's a little brochure, basically, uh, as a PDF, what one can download. And then thirdly, for people who are a little bit more wider interested in the topic of data, not only data protection, Citra, um, the, 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 the Finnish think tank has published a report on the fair data economy where we, and, and, and I was involved also in, with the Citra team, and we looked at how does personal data and other data, how is that regulated now with the new initiatives from the European Commission? It's very nicely done, and uh, also if you uh, you just put in Citra Fair Data Economy Report. But this was all very insightful. What would be the key takeaways? I would say reach out early, plan your processing, start small, but start, and consult someone for the risk assessment as early as you can. Thank you for being here. Thank you, my pleasure.